Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Bob Mendelson from Jews for Jesus Australia. Welcome to History Makers, Bob. Shalom, Matt. Shalom. Now, I've also got a guest host here, Wes League from Business Blessings. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Matt. Good to have you along. Now, uh, Bob, I am fascinated about Jews for Jesus. I've had a few people tell me, you've got to speak to this guy. You've got to find out what it's all about. Uh, for the listeners that don't know what Jews for Jesus is all about, tell us. It's all story. in the name. It's all in the name. We're Jewish people who believe that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah foretold by Jewish prophets in the Jewish scriptures. It's the most Jewish thing a Jew can do to follow Jesus as the Messiah and Savior. But I wasn't raised, and most Jewish people are not raised with that idea. So you were raised in a, a, a Jewish family, and uh, you had a conversion at about the age of 19, I think. Tell us about your upbringing. What was it like? I was an Orthodox Jew, full-on Jewish. I didn't wear the black hat and the curls. That's another brand of or subdivision of ultra-Orthodox. But we were normal, modern American. You know, it happened in Kansas City in the center of the United States. I was the third of three children, just ordinary, bicycle to school, had a, had a good life. Uh, when I was 16, I met a Jewish fella from New York City who kind of challenged me to be more fervent, more orthodox, practice your religion that much more energetically. Well, at 16, you know everything. So, of course, I took him on board, came home, told mom and dad I wasn't going to eat their food, but prepare my own. Wasn't going to drive to synagogue, walk to a more nearby one. I was going to be very religious. And they didn't like that. Well, you know, parents, you know, they, they took it personally. I wasn't trying to offend anybody. I was just trying to do Judaism correctly. And that lasted well for a couple of years. I went to university in St. Louis, about 450K east of Kansas City. And there I continued practicing my nouveau orthodoxy. It was very exciting to me. But I also got involved in the hippie culture. I dropped out, tuned in, turned on, did all those things, <laughs> as we were told to do. We all, in our mechanical way, said we are nonconformists. We all wore the same clothes, listened to the same music, and we were nonconformists, right? And I was a Jewish hippie. In fact, a lot of Jewish people were at the vanguard of hippiedom. And so that there I was, uh, listening to all kinds of wild vinyl records in those days and and dropping out of university uh-oh uh-oh you don't do that but i did because i after three semesters at uni i was i was now dissatisfied with my third major i wasn't sure what i was supposed to be i knew that i didn't want to be there but i didn't know where I was supposed to be. And it's a really disconcerting reality. So there I was at 19, hitchhiking around the United States, thumb out and ears wide open to all kinds of people. And I met some of you people. <laughs> oh, you know, those Jesus freaks. Well, they were weird. And I remember this one surround. I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and there were four of you there. Uh, not you, because <laughs> these guys had white shirts and skinny ties and crew cuts, and they looked like they were right out of some militia. And, and they were, <laughs> and they confronted me with their Jesus Christ. 
I got to tell you, that was foreign to both of us here. <laughs> that was a language I'd never heard. And the, I laughed at them. I ridiculed them. And I walked away thinking, why do I always walk? But, you know, those people, they're just so, they're so annoying. If heaven's full of them, I don't want to be there. <laughs> but it was, it was, ch- I guess, challenging. You know, why do these people have to go out on the street corners and do what they do? And it was a couple months later. I was back in Kansas City. It was Passover 1971. And I was confronted with my own inabilities to live a good life. Being Jewish, you, you know, you try to do the best you can. And I was not happy with who I was and what I had become. Oh, I'd not exactly maintained Torah you know, Jewish law. I had not exactly lived a kosher life from the point of dropping out of uni. I'd slept with, rock and rolled with, and danced with the right people and the wrong people, and I'd been aching to find peace, really, with God. But I didn't know that terminology. So it was May of 71, a month later, and I meet some more Jesus freaks on the street corners now of Kansas City. Oh, these were. The the girl was good looking, so I stopped. I sat down with them. (laughs) Honest. You want to be honest? And uh, they said, do you know the Lord is with you? I went, oh, boy, some more of those kind of people. But but they were really sweet. They were 18, 19 years old, just like me, and, and hippies, just like me. He had Jesus is dot, dot, dot written on his blue jeans. You know, I mean, he was he was out there. They're wearing tie-dye. And they're talking about the same Jesus that I'd heard about. But hey, 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 I'm Jewish, and Jews don't believe in Jesus. Well, I went, uh, they, I went back where I was staying, and there was a girl there whom I discovered was also one of those Jesus freaks. Oh, she and I stayed up that whole night reading Matthew, Mark. Now, I thought they were St. Matthew, St. Mark. Saint, I thought they were all Catholics. I had no idea how Jewish that New Testament was. And then, now I was a high school maths-oriented person. Later on, I taught high school maths. So the way I got through high school English was to read the first chapter, the last chapter, and those Cliffs notes that you can buy at the, <laughs> at the news agent, right? So that's, I read Matthew, right? And then Mark sounded similar, so I just said, I'm skipping that. I went to the book of the Revelation. Now, you read the book of the Revelation at night as an unbeliever. It's a little scary. You know, I didn't want to be one of those hobgoblins or demons or crawly things. I don't know. It just seemed so other. And I was so, uh uh-oh, on the wrong side. Well, I went to this girl's house three days later. I knew she was a Christian. I said, I want this Jesus stuff that I'm reading here in the Bible. But I don't want your Jesus because I'm Jewish. I didn't want to be an orphan. She said, hey, you don't get this Jesus stuff Love, joy, peace, meaning, relevant. You don't get that unless you take Jesus as your Savior. Well, I'm 19 at that point. I think that seems fair. So I prayed, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. It worked. It was powerful. It was dramatic. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. I was flooded with this sense of peace that I'd been a hippie proclaiming. And I'd lifted my two fingers into the air. All we're saying is give peace a chance, but I didn't have it. I have large teeth, nothing the orthodontist could ever repair to push it back in. So people thought I was happy because my mouth doesn't exactly stop smiling. But I was not happy. Until that very moment. Oh, I'd experienced happy moments. Come on, everybody does. Your side wins at the grand final. You know, something's going on. 
But there was something deeper in my spirit that I'd never really experienced until that night of May 1971. Wow. So I went home, told mom, dad, Jesus is coming back tonight. <laughs> okay, I got my dates wrong. But <laughs> but I was so excited then, 38 years ago. I'm still, to this day, pleased with what God has done in forgiving me my sins and giving me eternal life, that I'm still out on the street corners trying to help people discover that. Now, I'm just so fascinated about this. I've been reading a book recently called Restless Pilgrim about the life of Bob Dylan, otherwise known as Robert Zimmerman. And, uh, you know, Bob Dylan was raised as a Jew and uh, had an experience uh, in the middle of his music career, at the height of his music career. And uh, many of the uh, more mature people listening would know that he released albums like uh, Slow Train Coming and Saved and all these songs about Jesus. And I was fascinated in the story to hear about how the changes happened in his life and how his Jewish family and Jewish friends basically shunned him and rejected him because of this newfound faith of the Messiah. Uh, I'm not sure where Bob Dylan is nowadays with his faith with the Lord. He's, he's, he's never proud. recanted. He's never yeah. announced that that was a phase. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's always been an enigma. Yeah, yeah, he has. <laughs> so that, I think he's still a believer. Yeah, I have no so, reason yeah. to doubt that. Yeah. Uh, but th- my question is, uh, did you find a similar hmm. uh, reaction from your family? Yeah. What happened with you? I, I think it's probably that which is so intimidating to most Jewish people. I talked to Jewish folks, my own mother, my grandmother, this one, cousins, nephews, uh, people I've never met before at synagogues or just on the street corners or who ring our office or hit the website. And the number one reason for their withdrawing from conversation is people will find out. People will tell people that I'm now one of you, and I'm not one of you. So it even prevents people from investigating whether Jesus is the Messiah. The social cost is pretty severe. You read in the Newer Testament where Jesus tells people, hey, you're going to have to leave father and mother for my sake. And, you know, if you go home as a Sydney Anglican Hmm. and and you tell mom and dad that you're a believer in Jesus, hallelujah, they'll have a party. Hmm. You know, you go to Hillsong and you come home and say, mom, dad, I'm a, I'm a believer now. Glory to God. You know, I mean, this will be good. But you go home as a Jew and tell mom and dad. And what happened to me was they kicked me out of the house. It was a very painful time. I was 19. I had just come back from that wandering on the streets. And I was three days at mom and dad's and then out that night. Uh, Mom compelled dad to let me stay one more night. And then I was out 12 hours after praying to be born again. It's the number one reason why most Jews won't even think about or consider the possibility that Jesus might be the Messiah. But once we get over that hurdle, then look out, because we become equally steadfast and faithful to that which we find. But yeah, it's tough. You can read about it in Stan Telchin's book, Betrayed. You can read about it in my book, Whoever Heard of a Jewish Missionary. There are lots of testimonies out there that help people unpack what's going on with Jews. Now, um, I've got Wes here with me, who I know is very excited to to meet with you. Um, Wes, firstly, tell us, you pray for the Jewish people every day. Tell us about your, your prayer life and, and how this has inspired you. I do, because uh, God spoke to me, I guess this year, just saying uh, one of the things that if we were really going to reach out to business people, that we really need to reach out to Jewish business people as well. So since then, I've been praying on a daily basis for the salvation of Jewish business people. Uh, so I, just, Jews are known as 
the best business people around the world. How do you go in, in reaching out to them and sharing with them and meeting them where they're at? At the end of the day, we have the same pains, experiences of life, problems, joys that Gentiles have. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all experience life's woes and life's pleasures. Jews go through different emotions uh, about life based on our teachings but the reality is we experience the same emotions and difficulties of life and pleasures of life that everybody does. So I think, as you say, we should meet them where they are. I think we should love everybody. That's like a given, isn't it? I think we should uh, know somebody well enough, Jew, Gentile, whoever, know what they're really experiencing and then be there, almost like Job's real friends and not Job's three friends listed in the book. I think we really need to be wrapped with Rachmanis, you know, real mercy for people, compassion. And and don't be afraid to speak the truth into situations. Well, you're experiencing that. I know someone who can bolster you a whole lot more than I can. I'm there with my tea and bickies. I'm there with my arm wrapped around you, but I know somebody who can wrap his arm and uh, around your heart. That's to live for, not to die for. That's mm-hmm. to live for. Now, one thing you said before that is still rattling around in my mind, you said that you read the Newer Testament. Oh, is that, that the noise we hear? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love the way you said the Newer Testament, not the New Testament. Did I hear right? You did. Yeah. Uh, let me just stop in that for a moment. Uh, I've recently uh, been thinking a lot about the Scripture when you know, Jesus said he didn't come to take away the law but to fulfill the law. And, you know, you made a comment earlier on as well that you weren't a very good Jew. It was hard to follow the Ten Commandments, hard to follow the Torah, hard to follow all the laws. And it's the same with Buddhists. It's the same with Muslims. It's the same with every religion uh, in the world. It's hard to obey these laws. Tell us about how you see Jesus as the fulfillment of those laws in the Newer Testament. Tell us your, your story about that. The scriptures were never given to help us earn heaven. I don't know a Jew that thinks that if they keep the mitzvot, the commandments, that we'll get to heaven. We're Jews. We're automatically related to God. I mean, that that would be the one we would lean on the most. But to live a more heavenly life on earth today, that's why we have mitzvot. That's why we have these commandments, Torah. And as a result, then, we're supposed to live in that. But anybody who knows themselves and knows who God is and the demands of Torah knows we're not doing very well. It's like a mirror, the Apostle James said, and he is so spot on because then we look at the smudges. Now, it's easy to look in a mirror and never see smudges if the lights are off. But if you turn the light on and the mirror is there, you're stuck. (laughs) You're going to see the smudges and the repair needed. And that's why the law is our schoolmaster, to lead us to somebody who will repair us. When I read Jeremiah 31, one of my absolute favorite texts in the whole Bible, and one of the most quoted in the Newer Testament, is that God would make a new testament, a new covenant 
with the Jewish people. I don't know how you guys got in on it, but it really was for Jews. <laughs> but God's very loving and welcomed you. I, I, I mean, if I had something to say about it, you'd never got in. But, but there, there goes the neighborhood. But but really, God's in charge, and so he, he welcomed everyone. Uh, Peter, vision, four-footed things, creepy crawl, survivor stuff, crawling across his plate, and he said, uh, never mind. That's so, in the book of Acts you're talking about. Right. <laughs> so if you know yourself, you know how incapable you are of satisfying God's demands. At the same time, though, Jeremiah says that God will make a new covenant with the Jews in which he'll write that Torah on our hearts, and he would be in relationship with us in a grace-filled way, and he would cleanse us, forgive us our sins. Those three realities, the reality of personal conscience and repair of what we need in our heart is done by God. Secondly, it is that personal relationship that he extends to all people. And then third, how? By cleansing us from our sins. That is the majesty that Yeshua enacted when he, Yeshua meaning Jesus, when he lifted up the cup on that Passover night, what Christians call the Last Supper. And he's celebrating the Passover Seder with his Jewish disciples. He lifts up the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Now that for which we'd waited for hundreds and hundreds of years is fulfilled on that one moment when Yeshua picks up the cup and then just a few hours later gets killed to shed his blood that we might enter into that new covenant. In that newer covenant, in that new covenant, sorry, it says, I'm going to make one with you, not like the one I've made with you at Sinai. My covenant which you broke, though I was a husband to you, says God. So here God reminds us of our great capacity to break the Torah, to ruin our lives and ruin the relationship. He says, but I'm going to fix it. I love that God steps in and fixes what we've messed up. He's good. Now, there might be people listening that are um, really distant from God right now. There might be people who are who once were Christians or, or people who, who have a religious upbringing in Judaism or, or some other religion, what would you say to those listeners now about how they would take the steps to get their life right with God right now? There are, well, there's one step. Hmm. When you really think about it, when you think about religion, you think about steps. You think about what are the things I need to do? I need to quit doing this and start doing that, dress differently, uh, speak. Uh-oh, don't say that anymore. Oh, yes, thou shalt speak differently in a positive way. I should attend religious meetings and pray and fast and sing. And No, there's one way to get right with God, and that's to stop the way you're going and turn around. And I don't even know that you have to do a 180. I think you have to do a one. <laughs> Honestly, I think the, the, the man who turns toward God, God will do the rest. He really is a loving God who has extended his life to us in such a magnificent way. The, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, a pretty serious rabbi, who got radically, I don't use the word converted, but radically saved, radically completed in mm. Messiah. Mm. Um, says in the book of Romans that uh, God, the people would barely, barely die for a righteous man, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, um, saved us in Jesus. It, it was that God intersected our woeful lives and made us repaired by his doing. Mm. 
by grace we're saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast, not not by what I can do in fulfilling uh, a checklist of religious enterprises and activities. And that works not only on the front end of being a believer, but after you come to faith. So there might be believers who, as you describe, were once walking with God, but now are kind of straying. Well, for them, the same situation applies. Turn one step. Just Paul wrote the Corinthians and said, when a man turns to the Lord, there's liberty. There's a turning towards God. That is tremendous. Why? Because we're so religious? No, no, no. Take off your white, you know, holy outfit. It's a matter of him gracing you, not you working towards it. Mm. Now, the other question I've been wanting to uh, ask you about, you know, we read scriptures like pray for the peace of Jerusalem and um, you know, Wes was sharing, he prays for the Jewish people every Which day. Which is awesome. How I, important I'm, is that to, to the every, everyday believer? Oh, that is that is so significant. I'm going to take Wes and clone him. Yes. <laughs> we need so many more of you. Yes. Uh, the yes. People who really care enough about Jewish people that you do something about it. There are people who write to us at our Jews for Jesus uh, office down in Sydney. Um, and they say, I've been praying. And so what's God been doing in answer to my prayers? I think this is a, it's a great thing because they know and you know, and that's why you pray, that God's the one, the one, and the only one who can change situations, change hearts. Wow, how awesome is that? If we pray and somebody preaches, God does the rest. If we don't pray, can God do the rest? I don't know. He included it in the package. So there are people who donate to the ministry. There are people who pray for the ministry, people who send us notes of encouragement. I mean, it's really awesome for me. I moved here 11 years ago from New York City to get Jews for Jesus Australia off the ground. And I had no idea I'd be in Singapore, Korea, Buenos Aires, New Zealand, and all around Australia from here. I thought I was just going to Sydney. I didn't know how wide this would range. And why? Because God seems to be opening doors, not only in Christian places who want to hear about Jews coming to faith in Jesus, but because Jews are there who want to hear about the good news of Jesus. It is good news. We're all history makers, aren't we? Sometimes we make really messy history. <laughs> Everybody is a history maker. We're, we're making a story. Yeah, that's It'd right. be good to make a good story. Yeah. And how do you make a good story but make it from the one who created all story mm. and follow him and do it his way? That's mm. the best. Well, mate, Auric and your history maker, thank you so much for joining us. Shalom. Thank you, both. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com. There you can also find links to Facebook and Twitter, and also you can make a donation if you'd like. All emails will be greatly appreciated. Thanks for joining us, and remember, what's the point of getting out of bed if you can't make history? I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers.